Welcome to the Financial Times Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Anna Dedder from the Comment and Analysis Desk. ISIS may be in retreat in Syria and Iraq, but its access to oil means it still has large amounts of cash, and it's imposed its own currency in areas it holds, say Erica Solomon and Ahmed Midi. But how are the militants getting the cash out of their shrinking caliphate? This report is narrated by Erica. For years, Amar's tiny money transfer shop in the Turkish city of Antakya caught no one's attention but the fellow Syrian refugees who pressed inside to send and receive money from abroad. Until this summer, when security officials started visiting him every week. I've had to show them my counting books each week, and they took the shopkeeper next door and detained him for three months, he says. Everyone is scared, he adds. Amar, who asked not to be identified by his real name, knew what they were hunting for, businesses transferring money on behalf of ISIS. He just didn't understand why the officials were interested in him. He didn't hail from an ISIS-held area, and the border region he lives in is nowhere near the jihadi group's last remaining strongholds. What Amar hadn't realized was that his town had become a conduit for illicit funds. International attention has been focused on the jihadis' territorial losses to the U.S.-backed international coalition. But ISIS has been waging another silent campaign to make as much money as it can, as fast as it can, and get that money out of its collapsing, self-proclaimed caliphate. One former black market trader from an ISIS stronghold joked, they're dividing up the family estate. They'll spread that money everywhere to keep it working for the organization long after the caliphate is gone. The group's race to move its money is a prime concern for Western governments, as the fight against it shifts from Syrian and Iraqi battlefields to European capitals. As ISIS money spreads further afield, especially into Europe, they believe it will try to use those funds to launch further attacks. ISIS gained prominence in 2014, exploiting the chaos of Syria's civil war to seize more than a third of Iraq and almost half of Syria. Territorial control and self-financing distinguished it from its predecessor, al-Qaeda, and helped make it the world's richest jihadi group, earning hundreds of millions in revenues a year. But now, Iraq's second city of Mosul is back in government hands. U.S.-backed Kurdish forces are bearing down on Raqqa, the group's de facto capital. And Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's forces, with backing from Russia, are encircling the militants' eastern desert territory. Analysts expect ISIS will soon be forced to revert to the amorphous insurgency it once was. Yet interviews with people inside or recently escaped from ISIS-controlled areas say the group is still making aggressive efforts to produce oil and impose its own currency, all part of a bid to garner as many dollars as it can and funnel them through a secret trail of money transfers and business investments. Rinat Mansour is an analyst at the UK's Chatham House think tank and has been studying the issue. Now they are losing territory, this has become a priority for them, he says. They need to maintain financial influence and power, he adds. In Syria's oil-rich east, traders survey daily caravans of whales, their nickname for large trucks that haul up to 220 barrels of ISIS crude, sometimes 60 vehicles at a time across the desert towards government-held parts of Syria. Despite constant coalition airstrikes that have degraded production, they say ISIS has kept the trade going. Makeshift oil refineries still dot the eastern province of Deir Zor, and one owner says, The oil never stopped. People need oil, ISIS needs to sell, and business keeps moving. 
ISIS seized the wells in 2014, and now Deir Ezzor is expected to be the place it wages its last stand. Analysts at IHS Market this year estimate an 88% drop in monthly ISIS revenues compared with January 2015, while the International Center for the Study of Radicalization in London says ISIS has now lost 90% of its wells. Both estimate oil revenues were cut in half this year. Yet interviews with more than a dozen Syrian oil workers and traders suggest ISIS can still make up to a million dollars a day, thanks to its ability to shift costs and risk to eager buyers. They say ISIS has maintained its original pricing at twenty to forty-five dollars a barrel, depending on quality. One trader who recently fled to Turkey told the FT about a recent visit to an oil well before he left. He arrived minutes after a coalition airstrike and requested a discount from the official taking payments. The dirt had mixed into the crude, he says. But the ISIS official replied to him, "Let the oil spill on the ground. We won't sell for less, not even by one dollar." ISIS always sells, the trader says, even if the coalition is striking and the sales are stalled. The price never changes. Despite losses, ISIS holds Syria's two most productive fields, Al Amar and Al Tanak. Together, traders and well workers say the fields can still produce up to twenty-five thousand barrels a day. One field trader says, "ISIS is making a good profit, even if production isn't like before. It may even be more profitable." He says, "Two years ago, they may have made double or even four times as much. Now, their territory has drastically shrunk, but so have their expenses." He adds. Earlier this year, some traders expected the ISIS oil trade to founder after coalition advances blocked routes into the rebel-held northwest, which was once its main external market. Instead, ISIS doubled down on another market: traders close to the Assad regime. Government-held areas in Syria struggle to maintain fuel supplies due to Western sanctions, and they rely mostly on Iran, its regional patron, which has sometimes shown a willingness to halt supplies to politically pressure Damascus. Traders say the main regime middleman has even set up an office in a town called Sabha in ISIS territory. Young men line up outside his office each day for a chance to drive one of his whales. They get about $130 a trip. One trader says, "In recent months, this trend of selling oil to the regime has become normal. At Friday prayers, the imam lectured us that there is a fatwa allowing it after people complained it was shameful." He adds. ISIS has also begun imposing its own currency more strictly in eastern Syria. It first minted its coins in 2015. They consist of golden dinars, silver dirhams, and copper fils. But locals rarely saw the coins until about six months ago, when ISIS began ordering their use. One pharmacist who recently fled Deir Ezzor says, "At first, we ignored them." But when people wanted to pay for their water or phone bills or the zakat, a religious tax, they asked us to bring the currency. And three months ago, they said the currency is obligatory at all times. Currency dealers say they are now required to sell Syrian pounds and U.S. dollars to an ISIS quote economy office each week. In return, they get ISIS coins. Many locals believe that ISIS is trying to soak up all the available convertible currency. Ayman Jawad Al Tamimi, an analyst at the Middle East Forum, studies leaked ISIS documents and obtained one June order for all money transfers to be converted into ISIS currency as well. One food warehouse owner in Deir Ezzor says, "Any currency that gets into the market, they suck it up now and exchange it for their own. They want to monopolize hard currency."
Only local merchants bringing in supplies from Syrian areas outside ISIS control are given permission to buy U.S. dollars. Traders who buy ISIS oil are also exempt. The gold dinar, which weighs 4.25 grams, is sold at a rate higher than the market value of gold, currently about $45 a gram. Local businessmen estimate that ISIS has sold more than 100,000 dinars, generating hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit for itself. Coalition forces are aware of the dangers if the ISIS war chest is allowed to leave its territory. In June, before evening prayers, Hawala and currency dealer Samir Idris was struck by a coalition airstrike as he drove home. Few of his fellow traders were surprised. Several of those interviewed said they had avoided working with Idris for weeks over suspicions he was acting as an ISIS frontman. A U.S. CENTCOM statement on the killing described Idris as an ISIS financial facilitator and international money launderer. One fellow dealer explains, Two years ago, Idris could barely afford to open one money transfer office, and then, over a few months, he could open two. Hawala is derived from the Arabic word for transfer, and it's like an unregulated Western Union. It's a network of money dealers built on family ties and personal connections that span the Middle East and Asia and now stretches into Europe. It's an informal, unregulated, and hard-to-track system, which makes it ideal for illicit transfers. And it was already being used by ISIS to move funds for purchases, particularly for things like weapons and parts for bombs. But with 80% of the Syrian population living below the poverty line, it is also a lifeline for civilians dependent on relatives abroad. Refugees can also use it to get their money out, and merchants crossing enemy lines can bring in food and supplies while avoiding carrying cash. Western sanctions, as well as regulations to combat terrorism financing, make it harder for Syrians to transfer funds and pushes them towards Hawala. Ahmad, the dealer in Turkey, says, Go to any village in Syria and you'll find at least one Hawala office. If we stop transferring, people would die. Civilians who fled Raqqa and Mosul under ISIS rule described entire streets lined with currency and Hawala dealers. Turkish border towns often have dozens of jewelers and exchange shops who run a side business in Hawala. Some dealers say ISIS camouflages its money transfers by developing relationships with merchants transporting food or medicine. They transfer tens of thousands of dollars a day themselves. Several dealers say that before he died, Idris transferred $10 million in eight batches over 25 days to a town called Sarmada in Syria's northwest. It's under the control of a different jihadi group. One regional Hawala dealer says he tallied at least $25 million in transfers over recent months, all to Sarmada. From there, they can easily be smuggled to neighboring Turkey. This summer, coalition airstrikes killed the three dealers he accused of being behind those transfers, Idris, Fawaz al-Rawi, and another man named Bassam al-Jaifus. Iraqi officials long suspected ISIS had money exchange offices in Baghdad and other Iraqi cities. Two years ago, ISIS used some of them to bid in central bank auctions for dollars until U.S. authorities caught on. Mr. Mansour, the Chatham analyst, says ISIS later realized it could profit by buying businesses like hotels, pharmaceutical groups, and hospitals. A U.N. Security Council report, seen by the FT, warns that ISIS-controlled businesses may even seek to exploit post-war reconstruction financing in Iraq and Syria. Iraqi ministries have repeatedly failed to coordinate and share their information. Mr. Mansour says several people told him they were afraid to help the government. He says, first, because they didn't think anything would be done, and second, 
they feared moles within the authorities. Syria is too devastated to have any official oversight, but many Hawala dealers have noticed a rise in interrogations, detentions, and even deportations among correspondent dealers in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. Many of them suspect that the ultimate goal for ISIS is to move its money to Europe and argue it is already hiding its transfers among those done by refugees. One dealer adds, If ISIS wanted to send $1 million to Europe right now, it could. But who are the ones receiving it? That knowledge is only with ISIS, the dealers, and God. <laughs>